morning again. If you have your Bibles, if you can take them out and turn to Luke chapter 22. We've been talking about the church and our series, Important Values, and we could have the pyramid at that up on the screen this morning. I appreciate that. We have this pyramid, and we're looking at our foundation. Our foundation here is Jesus Christ. He's always the foundation. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone, the Bible said. He's the, he's the capstone. Everything that we do here at this church is about Jesus. Everything the church does has to be about Jesus because he's the only one that really matters, right? He's the one that's eternal. And on that foundation, what we do, we, we built up on the apostles and the prophets teaching upon this foundation of Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 2.20. And our doctrine is aligned with Jesus, has to be aligned with him. It's according to the word of God. And then up on top of that, we built our, our purpose. We're to glorify God by making disciples. Our church, we want to help people to know Christ, grow in Christ, and reach others for Christ. That's our purpose. That's what we're trying to do. Glorify God by making disciples who make disciples who make other disciples. So we can have more baptisms like this. Amen? So we're going to have that. And up on top of that are our values. The things that are important to us. The things that makes Crossroads Community Church, Crossroads Community Church. And then on top of that, we build our, our methods. Our methods and how we're going to accomplish our strategy, how we're going to do these things. And that's the pyramid. Every, so everything below stands in judgment of everything up on top, right? Everything below stands in judgment on, up on top. The more you go up the pyramid, the more things change. The more you come down the pyramid, you have less things that change. And when we talk about methodology, there's lots of rooms for discussion how we're going to do our methods and stuff like that. Lots of room for discussion because forms change, but functions do not change. And so you go down the pyramid of things that you cannot change because if you change them, you dishonor God. It becomes something that he never wanted you intended. So Jesus can never change, right? Our doctrines cannot change. Those things cannot change. And sometimes every once in a while I'll have somebody ask me, some people say that if you keep, are you afraid you might do some things, you can go down a slippery slope. And when someone says that to me, I often wonder, what, what would a slippery slope look like? I'm never concerned about a slippery slope when it comes to our, our methods. I'm never concerned about that, of doing anything like that. Because as long as we don't change the bottom of the pyramid, Jesus, who he is, and our doctrines according to the Bible, we can never go down a slippery slope, right? We can never ha have that happen. Because everything at the bottom stands in judgment, everything up on top. So it won't allow us to go down a slippery slope. We can't. Because of Jesus, that strong foundation. Not like other things around in the world. They don't have a foundation like we do, which is Jesus Christ, who never, ever, ever changes. Amen? So we have a strong foundation. So as long as we do that, we don't have to worry about going down a slippery slope and doing some things we should not do. Do you have that now? Very quickly, very quickly. So I want to talk to you about another value this morning. It's a very important value, is that we live to serve. If everyone could say that with me this morning, we live to serve. Because we do, we live to serve. That's why God has us here, is to serve. But the disciples were not too sure about that in this particular segment of Jesus' life. If you have your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, the context here is the night before Jesus was crucified, uh, the disciples get into another argument. They get in arguments all the time. They get in another argument. And what's so strange, bizarre, is the nature of this argument because what Jesus just shared before, just minutes before this, that he was going to die. So they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And, and, and if you're a student of the Bible, you're saying, wait a minute, isn't this deja vu? Didn't they argue about this before, once before? They argue about this many times, the disciples do. Who, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? What we'll find out in this passage is the big idea that's very simple is this, that God's path to greatness is found in doing the little things of a servant. That's the path of greatness. 
And I want to give you three truths. Hopefully you have your outlines ready to fill, the, fill them in. Three truths of being a great servant. The first one is this, and it's contrary to what the world says. Being great is not found in being dominant. Being great is not found in being dominant, domineering over people. Let's read verse 24 and verses 25. It said, also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. And Jesus said to them, the king of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. You look at this passage and you say, why are you guys fighting about this? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Because Jesus has modeled humility in front of you. Jesus has taught humility in front of you for the last three years, and you haven't gotten it yet. Why? Why haven't they gotten it yet? And, and unfortunately, when we read things many times about the apostles, we too often see ourselves too, don't we? We see ourselves in the apostles. We may get upset with them when we read in Scripture about some of the things they do, but we see ourselves in them. We do those things. And what happened was the whole idea of, of pride set in. What happened way at the beginning became the reason for redemption, became, became the cause for redemption. That Lucifer, being an angel of light, highly revered, uh, it, it seemed, an angelic world and worshiping God, according to the book of Isaiah and the book of Ezekiel, one day says, I want to be his God. So he led a rebellion in heaven against an almighty God. And, and in doing this, in this rebellion, he led, the Bible says, one-third of the angels uh, uh, with him against God. And, and to overthrow God. Obviously, they failed, right? But in failing and doing this, the Bible says they were cast out of heaven. He was cast out, and those angels, a third of those angels, were cast out of heaven, and they lost their status. And those fallen angels are now the demon world, which has been throughout the centuries in our world today, those demons. And, but Satan, Lucifer, disguised very subtly as a serpent or as a snake in the Garden of Eden, appears to two people, Adam and Eve, the only two people on the face of this earth at that time, and he says to them, is God really said to you that you shouldn't eat of any tree in the garden? In fact, God knows if you eat of that tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that you will become like God, knowing good and evil. So he's appealing to their pride. Boy, I want that. I want to be like God. i got to have that. And then they, when they realized what he said, and they looked at the tree, the Bible says they ate from the tree. And everything changed from that point on. Everything changed. Our relationship with God changed everything. Mankind's relationship with God changed forever at that time. And, and, and a holy God now, now could look at sinful man. He wasn't able to look. In those days of man and God walking in the cool of the garden together, we're over. They're gone now. It's not going to happen. And, and man had difficulty understanding himself, who he was, and his motive. And we still do today. We have difficulty in understanding who we are. And you see that in, in our culture today and what's going on. Who we are, understanding our image, understanding our worth. We try to find our worth and our value in so many different things. We struggle with that. We also have difficulty in our horizontal relationships. We struggle to relate with one another, don't we? We have difficulties, tensions, and stuff like that. And one of the reasons, all because of pride, we have this pride, and we still have it today. We're proud. We still try to guard our self-image and the things that we do to such an extent that we know we're not perfect, but we don't want anyone else to know all of our imperfections, do we? So we hide them. We hide them from everyone else of all of our imperfections. But we want to expose the imperfections of others. And we're quite good at it because it makes us feel so good. It makes us look good because when we do that, and we're so good at looking at everyone else's faults, we can see them from a mile away. I can see your fault and your wife. We don't want anybody to look at our own faults, right? It's all because of pride. It's all because of pride. And that's happened throughout all the years. 
And, and there, there's a desire now not to serve, but to be served and to exalt ourselves. That's many of our hearts and desires. Not to serve, but, I, but people to serve me and exalt myself. In contrast, Jesus, if you could go all the way back in time and go back to the beginning, uh, the beginning of time is you and I know it because God never had a beginning. Jesus never had a beginning. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. And that word, the word means Logos or Christ Jesus. And it says, And the Word was with God. It means Jesus was face to face with God. He was in the presence, the very presence of God the Father, face to face with Him. And it says, The Word, Jesus was God. So Jesus is God, the Bible's telling us. And He was with God the Father from the very beginning. And then it goes on and says, He was with God in the beginning. And verse 3, Through Him, Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. So Jesus, what the Bible's telling us, is the one who created all things. He's our creator. So if anybody deserves to be exalted in worship, it's definitely is Jesus. Amen? He deserves our worship because he created everything. He's the creator. But the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2 is really Paul's kind of Christmas story, if you look at that. He, he says, Jesus didn't think his equality in the presence of God was something that was so important that he had to hold on so tightly to. So he went on a mission. The Bible says that he humbled himself and, and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, the Bible says. And so Jesus, he came to earth. When he came to earth, he came as a, a baby. Think about that. Humility saturates the story of Jesus. He didn't come as a triumphal king. He came as a little, helpless, little baby. A baby in a manger, the Bible says. And all, all, and all the save the date cards that went out that day, you know how we send out save the date cards, I'm going to have a baby. They all went, who did they go to? They went to the shepherds. In other words, when Jesus, when God chose to come into the world and to bring his presence in the world, he sent the notices to shepherds who were not the elite status of that time. He chose to reveal his coming to shepherds who were there. And as Jesus began his ministry, John the Baptist says, there's the man, Jesus, who I'm not worthy to tie his shoes that he must increase and I must decrease. And he began his ministry with all humility, the Bible says. In, in humility, it just saturates. The disciples would follow him. He would teach. And, and one day he taught them a, a great teaching. He said, if there's a banquet and you come into a banquet and there's tears in the banquet and you come in, the highest tier is for those most honored. And you come in the banquet, you're looking for a place to sit. And you say, well, I'm going to sit here at the lowest tier. There's an empty seat down here. I'm just going to sit right down here at the lowest seat. The host may come up to you and tap you up on the shoulder and say, excuse me, but I have a place reserved for you at my table at the highest tier, most honored. He says, or you might come in the banquet and look up and look around and see empty seats, but see an empty seat way up there at the highest tier and say, I'm going to go up there and sit. And you go up there and sit and you get all comfortable. And the host may come up and tap you up on the shoulder and say, excuse me, for I have a seat reserved for you. And it's way down there at the lowest tier. And Jesus went on to explain, he says, those who exalt themselves will be made low, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. And he did, he taught that over and over and over again. There was a person with leprosy that came to him. And leprosy was a, a disease that was no known cure at that time. And it had social connotations. They were outcasts. They weren't allowed to go to the temple. And, and this leper came to Jesus. That in itself is a story by itself, because a leopard could not come to anyone that was clean. And if they did, they had to put their hand, the right hand over their upper lip and yell, unclean, unclean, unclean. 
But Jesus wasn't afraid to be contaminated by the leper. He was more concerned about the person who's caring for them and healing them. And the leper asked him, says, can you heal me? And what do you think? Jesus said, yes, I can heal you. And he healed them. But then he said something to the, the, the man with leprosy would seem impossible. He told them, what I've done for you, don't, don't go tell anyone else. Don't tell anyone else. Can you imagine that? Being healed from an incurable disease, and the one who heals you, you think it's saying, go tell everyone what I've done. But see, Jesus says, don't tell anyone else what I've done for you. It's just between me and you. One day, the disciples were arguing, and guess what they were arguing about? Again, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus brought a little boy beside him, and he, and he showed the disciples this little boy, and he says, those that receive this little one receives me, and he who receives me receives my Father in heaven. Disciples hadn't gotten it yet. They didn't understand it. And just four days earlier in this event that we were looking at this morning, we know it is Palm Sunday, that Jesus is coming down that Sunday morning in the Mount of Olives, and he's coming down in the Mount of Olives. He does something that's kind of amazing. It's unheard of. In his triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem, he's coming in on a, on a colt of a donkey. And those Jewish people at that time who knew the Old Testament, were very familiar with the Old Testament, they would know that would be a sign of humility, that he was coming in humility. So that's what Jesus was all about, humility. He just got through sharing with the disciples, those guys. He says, I told you the reason I came. I've come to die for you, the ultimate of humility and sacrifice. But those guys didn't get it. They, they were so bad. I see, greatness doesn't come from dominance. It comes from serving. But those guys were so bad. Let me give you one more story. James and John, sons of Zebedee. Maybe you've heard them. They were going to ask Jesus for a place prominent in his kingdom. And, but you know what they did? They were a little smarter than the others. They brought their mom to ask for them. So they brought their mom. Can you imagine that? You're at your workplace. I don't know your boss. I don't know he or she who your boss is. We all have a boss, right? And... Uh, you, you, you know, they have a promotion coming up at your workplace, and maybe you shared it with your mom, say, Mom, yet I really want this promotion. I've been working hard for it, and I think I really deserve this promotion. And it would really make it, Mom, if I could get this promotion. And all of a sudden, you're walking down the hallway at your workplace, and your boss, he or she, walks by you and says, something's kind of strange happened to me today. You say, what's that? Your mom came to visit me. Can you imagine, how would that play out in your workplace? How would that be? That maybe you go into your your break area, and everybody's talking, they're laughing, and as soon as you walk in, they're all silent. And you look around and say, what's wrong? What's happening? And, and somebody looks at you, and maybe the guy sitting at the end of the table has been there for many years, saying, you know, uh, we heard your mom came to visit the boss, and I was supposed to get that promotion that was up, but I didn't get it because your mom came and talked to the boss, and now you're going to get the promotion. I don't think that worked so well at your workplace, do it, would it? It didn't work so well for the disciples either. After James and John asked Jesus for that prominent place in the kingdom, he gathered the disciples and asked them and told them in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, our memory verse, he says this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That Jesus came in humility. He came to serve. And they didn't get it. And if I was Jesus, I'm throwing down my clipboard and saying, I'm about ready to hand this off to you guys. And I've been uh, modeling this in front of you for three years. I've been teaching you about humility for three years, but you still didn't get it. That's what I would do, but that's not what Jesus did, is it? Jesus was very gentle, and he says a couple of things in those two verses that I read to you. He says first to the Gentiles, let's go back to verse 25, it says this. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. The meaning of that lorded over, it's a negative connotation what he's saying there. It's in other words, they express dominance. 
or, the, or they were domineering over the people is what he said. But at the same time, at the next expression, he says this in verse 25, at the end of that, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. And so they're lording over them, yet they're also called benefactors, which is positive, which is an honorary name. How can you have both of those? How can you have both? It is believed that the Roman emperors were, were, would do some amazing things for the people, like the road systems, the, the water aqueduct systems, the art system, the arts system, all the statues, and all those things as they were doing them for the people, but as they were doing them to benefit the people, it was their way of having dominance over the people. Even as much as what they would do, they would demand worship from the people and look at the Roman emperors as gods, is what they're asking. And Jesus is responding to that, and he's saying this. Jesus said, that's not leadership, and that's not greatness. He says, greatness is found not in dominance, but it's found in serving. And maybe as we're serving as people, hopefully we, we live to serve, and you understand it, and as you're serving, and we may see the hand of God's blessing, and we're serving, right? We're serving in God's blessings in that. And pride is so subtle, so subtle many times, that maybe if we're not careful along the way, that we may think that we are part of God's blessing and what God is doing and accomplishing. And then pride sets in, and, and soon we realize we come to this false conclusion that as leaders, people are here to serve us instead of vice versa. And what we have to understand, we the leaders are here because of you, and we the leaders are here to serve the Lord and to serve you. The leaders are to be servants, not for people to serve them, right? And that's what Jesus was teaching. That's what he was teaching. Greatness is not found in dominance, but it's found in serving. You want to be a great leader? Serve. Serve. Be great servants. The second truth of being a great servant goes right along with this. It's really greatness is found in serving. In serving. I want to talk more about that. Let's read verse 26 and 27. He starts off with the conjunction word but in contrast to the Gentile or the Greek dominance. He's going to go. Verse 26. But you are not like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. In that culture, the seniors were one who deserved the honor, and the young ones were to serve them. What Jesus is saying, you want to all be like the youngest. Doesn't matter your age, all be like the youngest. Serving everyone, that's what he's saying. Be like the youngest. Go, he goes on. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? He asks a question, a good question. For, for who is greater, the one at the table, the one who serves? In that culture, in our culture, the answer is the same, right? Who's the greatest? Who's looked at the greatest? Let's just ask the question. The one who's sitting at the table of grub stakers or the one who's waiting or serving the table of grub stakers? Who's, who's greater? That question seems kind of rhetorical in that culture, what was happening. Obviously, in that culture, and probably in our culture, the person who's greater is the one who has the most employees, right? The person who's greater is the one that has the most money. The person who's greater is the one that has the most servants. That's the one who's greater. And Jesus is about to turn that upside down, is what he says next. At the end of verse 27, he says, Is it not the one who's at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Jesus is reminding them that greatness involves doing the work of a servant, is what he's saying. That's greatness. And, and so the disciples are arguing Who's the greatest? And if you were there, if I was there, maybe you want to go up there and say, why are you guys arguing about who's the greatest? Is that really important? They might say, yeah, that's really important. Let me ask you, 
Or is your feet clean or dirty right now? And they would probably say, clean, clean. Why'd your feet get clean? Well, when I came in the room, the lowly lived servants, wouldn't have been a Jew, would have been a Gentile at that time, they washed my feet to make them clean. The night Jesus, the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus didn't say I, I needed a volunteer. There was no one to volunteer. But the Bible says that there was no volunteer. Jesus got down on his knees and he washed the disciples' feet, right? So he could kind of uh, kind of show them that what they were doing wrong, to guilt them or anything like that. That's not what Jesus was doing there. He wasn't trying to guilt the disciples. But Jesus washed their feet of the disciples because he was a servant. That's who Jesus was. That's what he did. We look all the time. He was serving people. And the greatest in the kingdom is the one, not the one who reclines at the table. He said it's the one who gets his feet dirty. It's the one who serves is what he's saying. And, and in that moment, Jesus redefined leadership, what leadership looks like, contrary to the world, contrary to our world today. And Jesus redefined greatness. That greatness is found in serving, serving other people. And those disciples were looking for titles. What Jesus was offering was towels. Here's towels, guys. This is what you're called to do, is to serve. Washing people's feet and serving. 20 centuries have passed, and we're still looking for titles. We're still looking for acclamations. We're lo still looking for people to serve us, right? We're still looking for that. And Jesus said, no, let's turn that upside down. He says, if you want to be great, serve. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. Serving. Serving. And he turns it upside down. The third truth of being a great servant, number three, there is reward for service. There is reward for service. Verse 28, it says, You are those who have stood by me in my trials. He's saying that to a group of disciples, minus one. Who's the minus one? Judas Iscariot's left by now. He's with to betray Jesus. He goes on in verse 29, I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me. No award, no volunteer of the month, no lifetime achievement award for Christian service. He says, I confer you a kingdom. I'm going to give you a kingdom. He says, that's what you're going to get, a kingdom. He goes on in verse 30, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. How many of you have ever gone out to serve somebody, and as you're serving them, wanting to bless them, you come back home and you're so tired and exhausted, but you're blessed, fulfilled, and satisfied yourself? You're with me? You understand what I'm saying? That happens? That's the way God made us. That those endorphins are released in our body when we serve, and there's a sense of joy and happiness. That's what God intended. That we would have that as we're serving others. That we'd have that joy and happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction as we're serving others. But he said, it's, it's not just for this life, but he goes on, those who have stayed with me. Those who have stayed with me. That little sentence, by the way, that little verse, Jesus has given another nuanced definition of discipleship there. He's saying the disciples are those who stay with Jesus, those who stay with him during trials and difficulties, through trials and persecution. So disciples are ones you can recognize a true disciple of Jesus because they stay with them. Not, not, they don't leave when, when it going gets tough or difficult or they're persecuted, that you look around and they're gone. And many times that's what happens. People who say they're Christians, but when the going gets tough, they're going through a hard time, a difficulty or trial or being persecuted, they leave. He says, but these, these disciples, you have stayed with me. Through all the trials, through all the persecution, you have stayed with me. Now, I don't, I don't want you to misunderstand me because some people have this idea of heaven, and maybe you're one of them. They think it's going to be an eternal, eternal retirement home. 
that it's just going to be there, that all of a sudden, while we've served here on this earth, that when we get to, earth, when we get to heaven, we're no longer going to be serving. That we're going to find the, by the best pool, we're going to be by the best swimming pool, and going to be reclining there with our favorite drink that we like, iced tea or our favorite lemonade, whatever it may be. And every time that glass goes empty, there's going to be an angel there to fill it, right? Every day, every day, every week. It's just this eternal retirement home. We're just going to enjoy that, right? I don't think that's what it's going to be like. If you, if you think that, you've missed it. That's what it's going to be like. Jesus is all about serving. And it's not going to change when we get to heaven. We're going to be serving there, but we're going to be rulers over kingdoms is what he's saying. You say, what's the difference? The difference now, now we're serving for Jesus. At that day, we'll be serving with Jesus. And we're going to be sitting at his table is what the Bible said. And it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time that we're going to be sitting. The Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Those who know Jesus Christ, they're saying co-heirs with him. We're going to co-reign with Jesus, and we're going to be serving with him, with Christ. Can you imagine that? Serving with Jesus every day, every day. It's going to be a wonderful time. But it's all about serving, serving Jesus. That's what this life's all about. It's all about serving him, right? Every place we go. And one of the big events that we have coming up in our church here is just in a few weeks is serving at the, the Northern Illinois Food Bank and handing out food to those in need. And if you're looking for an opportunity to serve in the church, an opportunity to serve, wherever you are, this would be a great opportunity. Help those that are in need by just signing up back there at the info counter and just handing out food, being the hands and feet of Jesus and giving food to those people that need it right now. Help those. And a great opportunity. Maybe, maybe another way you can serve is invite people to come to the church, especially those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, so they can hear about a God who's not ready to judge them and strike them down, but a God who loves them and cares about them and wants to have a relationship with them. And he's done everything to make that relationship happen. And he wants to help them in their life. Maybe you heard about a God like that. Or maybe serving one of our ministries, like in our children's ministry, nursery through preschool or kindergarten through fifth grade, you want to serve. Or maybe starting back up our student ministry ministry again. We need people that are going to do that. We're looking for someone to do that. Or serving on the outside doing maintenance work or, or inside painting. We've got all kinds of things we can do here, right? Or, or, or just finding a place to serve. Or maybe, here's another, maybe you could be a Barnabas. You know, Barnabas was an encourager. You can say every Sunday morning, I'm going to come to church and look for two or three people that I'm going to encourage, two or, two, two or three different people that I'm going to encourage, build up, encourage, and maybe pray with. And then I'm going to go to the next person, encourage them. I'm going to go to the next one. And next week, I'm going to find two or three different people, not the same, and I'm going to be an encouragement to everyone in the church. And maybe that's what God has called you to. Maybe that's the way you're going to serve. Please don't misunderstand me. There's always places to serve in the church, always. If you're looking for a place to serve and you're asking, Come and see me. There's all kinds of things we can do in the church. So service opportunities are always available within the church. But service opportunities are available every day in our community. Some is so simple that as I go to the fast food restaurant in town, one of them, that I hold the door open for someone to let one, two, five, or 20 people go in front of me, right? So simple as, as I stand at the grocery store and I let someone who has a couple items in front of me say, hey, go ahead in front of me. And I'm serving others. I'm looking for opportunities to serve or so simple as uh, the next-door neighbor's having a hard time cutting their grass, and you go over and cut their grass, or, or you shovel their snow. Not for a photo op, so I can stick on social media, hey, I helped out my neighbor, look what I did. It's not for that. We live to serve, that's who, that's who we are. 
And that's who Jesus was. We live to serve, and we need to grow in that value. It's a very important value that Jesus has called all of us to, that we grow in that value to serve. Let's embrace it. Let's live it out. That's what he's called us to do. And as we do it, let's share with the world that greatness is found in the pathway of doing the little things as a servant to, to serve people. We're about serving people, serving others. Every place that you go, you serve. At your workplace, as you're at a store, in your family, in your community, your neighbors, as you're driving your car, you're not screaming at everyone, hey, go ahead in front of me, I don't care, you know. You're serving, that's our hearts and our attitude. We live to serve. If you are here today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior yet. That's the starting point. How can you live to serve for Jesus if you don't know him, right? So first you have to have a relationship with him, and you need to understand, I don't know what you've heard about Jesus before, that Jesus loves you. And Jesus desires, and he wants to have a relationship with you. The creator, God, the one who created the universe, has all power. He wants to have a relationship with you. But because you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're all sinners, and he is perfect, holy, righteous, just, pure, everything that we're not, there's a gap between us and God. There's a gap between us and God. And we cannot bridge that gap on our own. There's no way we can approach a holy, just, perfect, righteous God on our own because we're not. And God knows that. And God desires a relationship with you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, from heaven. And he comes from heaven, and he took on the form, a human body, and took on the form of a servant. And the Bible says he went to the cross. And on that cross, God took all those sins, all those things that separate you from a holy, almighty, just God, and he placed them on Jesus, and Jesus died for all those sins of yours. He died for your sin debt. He was your uh, replacement on there. He was your substitute upon that cross that he died in your place. But he paid for all your sins. So that now you and I can approach a holy, just, righteous, perfect God through Jesus. Jesus now bridges the gap between us and God. But we have to come, we have to receive and accept what Jesus Christ did for us upon the cross. And so we, we come to him, we say, God, I know I'm a sinner, but I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and today I put my faith and my trust in Jesus that he died for me. He was my substitute, and I trust him as my Savior. If you've never done that, please do that today, accept him. That's the only way to have a relationship with God. That's the only way to have your sins forgiven. And it doesn't matter how many sins you have, doesn't matter what you've done, Jesus died for all sins, even yours. Every sin. Past present and future, but it doesn't apply to you till you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Bible said it's by grace you've been saved through faith in Jesus that we come to him. But if God is calling you right now, if you feel the tongue on your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God's grace calling you. Don't deny it. But this morning, put your faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. Amen. If you have any questions about that, come and see me after the service. Be glad to talk to you. But all of us as servants, we live to serve. Let's say that. We live to serve. Right? One, we live to serve. We are called to live to serve all kinds of opportunities at our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our families, wherever we go, we live to serve. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. You are so, so good. And Jesus, when we read about you in Scripture, it just doesn't tell us uh, you need to do this and that and this and instructions. But Jesus, you were our model. You were an example. You showed us how to do it. You didn't just tell us 
You showed us how to serve. You showed us how to be a servant. And Lord, we so appreciate. We so, we so thankful for you. You're so authentic. You're so loving. You're so caring that you care for each and every one of us. That the Bible says you know all about us, everything. There's nothing that we can hide from you. You even know how many hairs we have on our head. So everyone here this morning, there's nothing that they have done or nothing that we're going to do that you don't already know. That's you. And you still love them. And you still died on the cross for their sins. And you still want to have a relationship with them. And you still want them to be a part of your family. And all they have to do is come and put their faith and trust in Jesus. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I pray for anyone's soul who does not know you yet. I pray that they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Today would be the day of their salvation. And I pray for all of us who, who say that we're followers of Jesus today, that we would realize that we live to serve. We're to serve. Not just here in the church. We all should have a ministry in the church where we're at least one ministry we're serving at. But we're serving out in the community as we go. Looking opportunities every day. There are opportunities to serve others, to glorify Christ as we serve, we put others before ourselves. Lord, help us to have that attitude. Help us to realize and open our eyes to see the opportunities you have given each and every one of us every day. That we might be, that might be a reality in our life, and that might be a value that we cherish. That we live to serve. So, Lord, we can't do it without the power of your Holy Spirit. The first thing, Lord, we have to know you, and then we have to yield to you. And I pray that each person would do that. Lord, glorify yourselves in our hearts and our minds. And Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.